We're going to get ready to dive into our next God Questions Hot Potato. Tonight, I'm going to deal with probably one of the most hotly debated theological questions in the church, eternal security. Come on, let's do our thing. So before I jump into that, and I got two little small questions to answer from two weeks ago. Ushers are coming uh, to receive your offering tonight before we jump into that. I got a lot of scriptures to give you, so keep your Bibles open, your devices fired up, and, and uh, we're going to have, we got a number, there's a number to text me questions. Now tonight, let me say this before we pray over the offering, you can test, text any question you want, but I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I prefer them be on the subject you understand we're dealing with tonight, and I'll, I'll filter those first, and then I might save some of these others for another time, all right, but I want to stick to my subject. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you bless us with health and wisdom and the ability to earn an income. Thank you for the United States of America, a country where we can be anything we want to be, where we can work hard and there's no limit on us, God. We thank you for this this environment that you placed us in. We thank you, Lord, that if we make $30,000 a year, that we are in the upper 1% of all the people on this planet. We are considered by many to be wealthy. Lord, never let us take for granted your blessing, your kindness, your goodness. And Father, never let us fail to be faithful in presenting you your tithe and our offerings. We celebrate the ability to do that tonight and give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Do you know that uh, what I just prayed, that you know if you make $30,000 a year in, in, the, uh, in the population of this world today, you are in the upper 1% of all wage owners on the planet. How many are thankful? <laughs> thankful. Thankful. We're blessed. In fact, you ought to tell somebody next to you, you're rich and don't know it. Go ahead and tell them that right now. I didn't ask them how they felt. I just tell them who they are. You're rich and don't know it. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna, I want to deal with, uh, with uh, eternal security. And, and now let me tell you a couple of things about eternal security. I love you if you disagree with me. Okay. There are wonderful people on both sides of this subject. And somewhere in the middle of these extremes is the really where I think God's, we see the, will, the, the, the real truth about this. So it's vitally important. Let me, let me do a couple of things because I had this question asked a couple of times. Uh, I don't know, and I'm going to have a little fun, okay? Relax. I don't know if this is a uh, parent that's had a hard time with their children and they think the kids may be, uh, children may be a curse instead of a blessing. Okay, I'm just playing with you a little bit. But the question has come, was the, was the purpose for men and women to, to marry and, and be able to produce children, is that something that happened after or before the fall? So in other words, you know, we dealt with homosexuality and some of those issues. And I think the question is, uh, is the, just let, frankly, how can I say it, the physical sexual relationship between a husband and wife and, uh, and, and creation, the ability to procreate, is that blessed or is that something always in God's plan or not? So let me, let me read this from Genesis 1 uh, and verse number 28. Before the fall in, in, in Genesis 3, then uh, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So before the fall, God blessed man and woman to be able to produce children. That's a blessing. So that's before the fall. Then ladies, sorry, when you get to heaven, you may want to slap Eve. Probably when you get to heaven, you won't do that because you'll be glorified. All right. But again, as a result of the fall, not to have a child, but your, the difficulty in childbearing 
See, the curse of sin skewed how easy it would have been for you to have a child. Because we read in Genesis chapter 3 and uh, verse number 16, To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. So see, that was something that happened. Adam had some issues God talked to him about. Result of his sin, uh, Eve did too. So childbearing initially was a plan, the blessing of God, and it was given uh, to, to bless us, to, to, to bring families and, and to bring people on the earth, to know and love and serve God. Uh, there were consequences after man's sin, Adam and Eve's sin, that affected every part of our life, okay? <clears throat> so I want to help you with that. Then... Well, this question was a toughie, but I'm going to do my best, and I'll, I'll try to be as discreet as I can. Uh, I had a couple of questions. Someone said, uh, is sexting a sin? Okay, I've, to- I've told you I'm not dodging the tough ones here, okay? Uh, it's sexting. If you don't know what that is, you can ask somebody. Not now. Uh, you, you know what that is. It's sending indecent pictures uh, by our devices, uh, phones, etc., uh, I guess maybe the thought is if, if you're not, you know, physically actually there, you know, if there's a separation, whatever, there's a word used in the King James translation of the Bible. Uh, you can Google this, you can do a little research. I just, I want to go to my main subject, but I want to hit this quickly. Uh, in the King James, it's a word lasciviousness, lasciviousness. And it's a word that means to, uh, cause or inspire an ungodly desire in a person or to create a desire in a person that you cannot satisfy in a godly manner. Okay? Lasciviousness. To arouse a desire that cannot be met in a godly fashion. All right? So uh, it, it, that's, that would fall in that category. Just because there's not a physical act taking place, what that issued and what that created is wrong but in the eyes of God. We can, we can go a step further. The, the Bible says that if a man looks on a woman and thinks about her in an adulterous matter, he's committed adultery in the eyes of God. You don't have to touch somebody. You know the Bible says that? In your, in your mind. That's why the Bible says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. So watch this. Watch, think about this. I, I, I want to connect some dots for you. So if, if, if you look on a person and dwell on that thought. You understand? Listen, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give in to temptation. See, I can't stop the bird from flying over my head. But if I let him build a nest in my hair, that's on me. You see the difference of that? There may be a thought. There may be you see something you hadn't planned on seeing. Do you turn away from it? Do you stop the thought? Do you say, God, help me? So, so if a person looks at another person with, with an ungodly thought and dwell on that and, you know, create this thing and stay there, that, that's a sin. You never touch, but you, you sin. All right. So if that's as adultery, then the Bible says in Proverbs, watch it, I'm going to help you connect some dots, that the, the Bible calls in Proverbs over and again, uh, Solomon's warning his young men that an adulterous woman is a trap of death. Okay? She's, she's death. Are you guys listening to me? Okay. So, so watch this. So is sexting bad? Watch this. So the Bible says a woman that's an adulterous woman is a death trap. She's a death trap. Okay. And he says if you look on a woman and concentrate and dwell in this and create this scenario in your mind, it's like you've committed adultery with her. So a woman that would use a device or a man that would use a device to cause another person to have ungodly thoughts, you literally are bringing a death sentence on that person. So is sexting wrong? I'd say it's pretty wrong. Settle my case? Answer the question? All right. See, we're in a place where people are trying to play the edges nowadays. Trying to play. I didn't touch them. 
You understand? I mean, we weren't really there. Well, you hadn't read the Bible very much. I'm just being straight up with you, okay? It's, I don't enjoy talking about this, but the question is asked, and I'm going to do my best to help you because somebody has to bring a voice of sanity into our life, and let's go back to the Word of God. If you create a desire in someone that cannot be satisfied in a godly fashion, you've sinned, and you've caused them to sin. And the Bible says it goes as far as in the eyes of God. If you dwell on, dwell on, dwell on thing on this creative scenario in your mind, I don't think it means if you were tempted and you turned away from that thought. But if you embrace it and enlarge it, it's, it's in the eyes of God as if the act was committed. And so anything that would cause you to think that way and get to that place is a sin. The Bible says in Proverbs that it's, a, it's death. It leads to death. It's going to destroy everything in your life. All right, so... The, those, those are the those two questions. Now, let's let's go to eternal security, and uh, let me get out my phone here and see if I'm already getting some. Here we go. Okay, we're good. All right. So let me. Uh, I want to start with eternal security. What is eternal security? Uh, you might <clears throat> you might have uh, heard, heard this term. This is probably more prevalent in the part of the country we live in. Once saved, always saved. All right. Eternal security, once saved, always saved. How do we think about this? Very important. Again, I, I, I want to say that there are wonderful, wonderful Christians on both sides of this discussion. And, and they're going to heaven. Amen. Okay. So we have to go all the way back. Uh, if you've heard, let me give you a little quick church history. Uh, it's called the Protestant Reformation. In the 16th century, there was a Franciscan monk named Martin Luther. Martin Luther uh, was a part of the Catholic Church. And, and at this point in time, in the 16th century, things had moved to a point where everything was seen as, as religion. There was no relationship with God in a personal way through Christ and what was being available through the church. It was all through ritual, repetition, and religion. Martin Luther, a Franciscan monk in the church, uh, in seeking God and reading his Bible, came to a revelation and understanding, wait a minute. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by ritual. We're not saved by what church we belong to. We're saved by faith, by grace, by faith in God. So he went to the, to the door of the abbey, the church where he served, and he nailed his 95 points or theses on the door of the Wittenberg Abbey. And, of course, he was ostracized and, and put away. But that started what's called the Protestant Reformation. Every Protestant church, that's any church that's not a Catholic church, so any Protestant church that exists in the world today traces its history to Martin Luther's uh, the Protestant Reformation that began in the 16th century. Out of that, <clears throat> in the, all the way back to the 16th century, two veins of theology developed. As people began to explore, what does it mean to be saved by grace through faith? What does that look like? What is the Bible teaching? One was Calvinism, where we get the doctrine of eternal security or once saved, always saved. The other that arose in the same time is Arminianism. I want to give you some basic points of those two. Hold on, I'm not just giving you an old dead history lesson, but i got to bring you up to speed, okay? Calvinism, which is... The foundation of uh, where we get the term, and, and really there's a very strong word, and this is really why I even would, would want to deal with this. The, the term used in Calvinism is unconditional, eternal security. Okay, so that's it. So I want you to watch this. Uh, most of the people that, that believe once saved, always saved, aren't completely familiar with Calvinism and where that comes from. So let me, let me tell you how this works. Calvinism where the doctrine of eternal security, once saved, always saved, uh, is derived from it, the basis of it, has five tenets. Number one, uh, the depravity of man. Man is fallen and sinful. 
And, and we have, you know, there's going to be truth in both of these. And that's true. The Bible says we've all sinned. The depravity of man. But then they go, and the second point is, is Calvinism is based heavily on predestination. So the second point of Calvinism, and this is the, the, the separating mark between Calvinism and Arminianism, Arminianism, is predestination. In other words, or it's called, the, the other term would be unconditional election. Calvinism teaches that your salvation was predetermined before you were ever born. That salvation is not a choice, but a, but a predetermined, predestined choice of God apart from yours. Before you're born, you were predestined to go to heaven or hell. That's the tenet. Okay? Based upon that, watch how this builds. If that's true, that, that the predestined, apart from yourself, some were born to go to heaven, some were born to go to hell. Then the third point is what's called limited atonement. They, they teach that Christ did not die for everyone. He died for those predestined to be saved. Now, if you believe each one, the logic's there, but you have to you understand they build on that. So, so the third tenet is that the, the atonement or the cross was not universal, but limited to those predestined in the prior statement to be saved. Are you with me? Then, the fourth tenet is if you were predestined to be saved and one of those Christ died for, then at some point in your life, this fourth tenet is called irresistible grace, that you will irresistibly apart from your will, be drawn into salvation. Irresistible grace. You were one of the predestined. You're one of those he died for. And at some point in your life, irresistibly, you will be pulled into the grace of God. Okay? Then we get to number five. If those preceding points are true, then the fifth one would be logical, wouldn't it? That if you were predestined to be saved, one of those Christ died for, irresistibly drawn by the grace of God, then the final tenet is, then you are unconditionally, eternally secure. That, that, that is done, okay? So you follow those tenets. That's, that's that. Now, each one builds on the other. You can't, you really, logically, theologically, you can't get to number five in Calvinism, unconditional eternal security, if you don't agree with the steps that got you there. It's like building your house. Say, you're going to build a house. Yeah, okay, well, so how are you going to build it? Well, first, I'm going to build the roof. That's a little difficult. You've got to put foundations, some walls, and you got me? So, so you, you see the, tra- the train of thought, how you get to the unconditional eternal security. All right. Arminianism is, is a fi- main tenets of this, that uh, we are all born sinners as well, but we're able to respond to the grace of God. The second is, uh, called the free will of man, very strongly based on the free will of man, that we were not, in fact, predestined to go to heaven or hell, but we were given a free will to make a choice, which, where we go. Uh, their third tenet is instead of a limited atonement that Christ died for some, their tenet is Christ died for all, and the choice is man to receive salvation or not. Number four is that no person can be forced against their will to become a Christian. It's not irresistible grace. You have a choice to respond as the Spirit of God draws you or not. The fifth one then is that if those things are true, then Arminianism says that your salvation could be forfeited by willful disobedience, habitual, willful lifestyle that changes. Now, what happens is that we tend to, as everything we tend to find people gravitate to the extremities of each of these and, 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 and battle 
And, and so we're, we're torn between. All right. Um, you know, biblically, what do we see? Uh, I believe biblical predestination teaches this, that God does have a will and plan for everybody's life. As far as that far, I, I think that's undeniably true. Psalm 139, where you're yet in your mother's womb, God wrote a plan for your life. On and on it goes. But biblical predestination, as I understand it, is some of both of these. Not only does God have a plan for my life, but I have a choice if I get in or out of that plan. Okay? So biblical predestination is this, God's intention coupled with my decision. The free will of man. How strong is the free will of man? You just cannot negate it. You realize that there was free will with the angels in heaven. Lucifer chose to sin against God. There was free will in heaven. There was free will in the garden with the first humans ever put on the planet. Adam and Eve had a choice. Nobody made her eat the apple. Nobody made Adam wimp out and go along and eat the apple with her. He should have been protecting her and kicking the snake out instead of being that little wussy boy that all the men on TV are now. Whenever you say, honey, I'll eat the apple. You went, okay, I'll eat the apple. You know, where, where was he protecting his wife and getting snakes out of the garden? And you understand what I'm saying? You know, don't blame Adam. You know, they both had a good share of that. But they had a free will. So it goes on. You, you, you cannot read scripture without trying to grapple with the free will of man. So oftentimes we hear this statement, can I lose my salvation? Well, I don't think you can lose your salvation. What does that mean? Like I was going to church today. Where I lost my salvation. I had it at the house and then I lost over here. So I don't know that you can lose your salvation. Is it possible that you could forfeit or negate it? That's the question. Okay, that's the question. That's the real question. So we, we again, we try to use, we kind of pull extremist um, positions. Let me read a little bit to you because I want to be fair. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, I, my only point is I don't want to be debative or argumentative. I want to bring truth to you and let you help you deal with some of these things. So let me, this is, this is how this goes. I have a quote here, some quotes from probably one of the most well-known and I won't give the name because that's not my point. One of the most well-known, once-saved, always-saved proponents on television today. I think this would be probably the one the most. Let me, let me read some quotes. Uh, one of the things they would say is that if a person ever turned, turned away from Christ, they were never a Christian in the beginning. Man, how, do you, how, do you, how do you know that? You understand? They say if you're a Christian, you, you couldn't turn away. If, you know, if you'll say, well, here's this person who's going to my church and love God. We all know people like this. And they've walked off. Either they were hurt or bitter or got lackadaisical, lukewarm, and boom, boom, boom. And so, so the, the point would be, well, they were never saved. All right. So here, here's some. Uh, let, me, let me read some of this to you. Um, says, God does not require a constant attitude of faith in order to be saved, only an act of faith. So one time. So God doesn't require a constant attitude of faith, only an act of faith. Uh, again, I'm quoting, even if we die in a completely reprobate state, cursing God and rejecting any relationship with him, we would still spend eternity in his presence. Believers who lose or abandon their faith will retain their salvation. Lose their faith, but retain their salvation. For God remains faithful. And even if a believer, for all practical purposes, becomes an unbeliever, his salvation is not in jeopardy. You can give it, this is the quote, you can give it back only if the giver accepts the return. 
in the case of salvation, God has a strict no-return policy. This effectively removes choice after the point of salvation, as one cannot even abandon one's own salvation. So you see, you see, you know where these things are, and 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 what we're dealing with. I think, I think again, uh, Arminianism and Calvinism are two understandings of what the Bible says. There, there's what, there are two points of view. What does the Bible say? You got me you keep coming back to that. We don't have to pick either one. So, so uh, let, let me read two of the scriptures that are primary for the Calvinism, the once saved, always saved. Let's look at this, John 10, verse 28 uh, and 29. Well, turn there with me. Let's look at a couple of these. I want you to see this and see the thought and why it's there. Uh, John 10, verse 28 and 29. Somebody's text me, how do you come back from God if you've fallen away, if you've done that more than once? Uh, I, come, I believe that as long, we're going to John 10, 28, and 29. I believe as long as there's breath in your body, God will always give you an opportunity to repent and come back. Uh, if you're breathing, you've got an opportunity to repent. Uh, now, let's, let's look at this. Um, uh, well, let, let, me, let, let me read these scriptures. I want to stay on track here. John 10. And verse 28 and 29. I just want to give you perspective. Jesus is speaking here, John 10, verse 28 and 29. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one, what, here's the deal. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. That's a strong word. Praise God. See, I, I, so I guess you probably know by now. Here's my trouble, and I'll tell you. I, this phrase I can't get my head around and I'll give you scriptures why unconditional eternal security that term is no wiggle room there okay so when I so I, I I struggle with that term all right so this verse is the one of the primary verse no one can take them out of my father's hand thank God but the issue here's where we miss it when we look at once saved always saved eternal security the issue is never the faithfulness of God the issue is never the issue is never God's side. The issue is our side. You, you see that? And if, if if we only look at this one side, then we 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 negate our responsibility. And you know what the good news is? Nobody can pull you out of the hands of God. Whatever side of this thing you're on, no devil can pull you out of the hands of God. No person can pull you away from God. The issue always comes back to the free will of man. And, 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 and we don't know. Watch this. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, say I'm saved here. In this direction, there's two directions. I can walk with God or I can walk away from God. I don't know how far I walk away from God and I cross that line. I don't know where that is. I'm telling you tonight. I can't tell you that. I don't know where that is. is it, but one says it's impossible. One says it could be. Okay? So we see that. All right, let's, let's go to this. Let's go to Romans 8, verse 35. Romans 8, 35. You have to make a choice. And I think it's important that you understand Scripture. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look at both sides and help you. Romans 8, 35. All right? A uh, couple of verses here. I'll, I'll read two. Romans 8, 35. Let's, uh, an amazing verse. See, what I'm not trying to give you is eternal insecurity. <laughs> you understand? We've, some of you have been to that church. Eternal insecurity. You get saved every Sunday. You understand? One thought, you're going to hell. You know. You got what I'm saying? Eternal insecurity. 
The whole thing is fear and judgment. That's the only reason. I mean, I'm going to church for one reason. Dear God, I don't want to go to hell Monday morning. I mean, that's, you know, it's, I call that eternal insecurity. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't say you have a bad day, you're going to hell. Aren't you thankful for that? The Bible doesn't say I'm wrestling with something, I'm going to go to hell. I'll, show, I'll give you some terminology where we need to be concerned. So let's look at this, John eight thirty five. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But, but the, the, the question is, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing will ever make God stop loving you. God loves everybody on this planet. And the question is not, is God faithful and does God love me? The question is, have I allowed myself to be in a position where I can under, receive the love of God? Do you know that God loved, listen, you're not going to like this, God loved Hitler as much as he loved the Apostle Paul. Do you get that? I mean, you really get that, okay? He loves us, but he doesn't condone our actions that take us away from him and the actions that put Jesus on the cross. So see, so the question is, see how we, you have to understand, what will separate me from the love of God? Well, nothing. But we have to be in relationship to receive that. Look at verse 39. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Thank God. Listen, we make a decision, but the ability to be a Christian and love God and serve God is not up to our power. It's God working in us and through us. You understand? Nobody can be a Christian on their own. Nobody can live the Christian lifestyle. We accept Christ. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. There's no other way to be forgiven and no other way to be in touch with God. But once that's done, even every day in our Christian journey, we are who we are by the grace of God. We are strengthened by his spirit. We, we, we are capable within ourselves as humans to live the Christian life. But Christ living in us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So, of course, it's dependent on Christ. The work was done by Christ. You can't earn your salvation. Christ did that, period. You can't add anything to that. The question is, is, is there any place where willful disobedience, unrepented willful disobedience, can that damage that relationship to that point? That's the question. So let's look at some verses on the other side of this. I've got several here because I want you to look at these and consider. Galatians 5 and uh, verse 2. Let's turn there. Galatians 5, 2. All right? Galatians 5, 2. You finding it? Somebody says, what's the best way to, to debate a Calvinist? Don't debate. That's the best thing. You know, try not to debate. Try to talk about this, look at scripture. What I try to do is say, hey, let me ask you to read these scriptures and see what you think. You know, let's come back. You know, look, I told a guy one time, I said, you know what? Oh, there's a great part of me that, that would like to say you're right. Because I don't want anybody to go to hell. You understand? But there's another part of me that says, you know, I don't want to give somebody a false sense of how this works. So, so uh, Galatians 5, 2. Let's, let's look at this. Well, this is pretty strong. I want you to watch this. Now, Paul's speaking to Galatians, men and women who live in, in Galatia, that region, who had accepted Christ. They had been Jews. They grew up as Jews. They were Jew, they're, they're Jewish. And their approach to God is the law, the old covenant, and they, they had been serving God as a Jew under the law. But they had heard the gospel and asked Christ to become their Savior, and we were born-again believers. Are you with me? 
Now some of them were beginning to say, you know, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to go back and get under the law because of my family, my friends, and the influence. I, I'm going I'm to walk away from this. I'm going to go back to the law. Watch this. Verse 2, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised. Now, you know, the, these were believers, and circumcision was the outer sign of the covenant, all the way back to, to uh, Abraham, all right? So, uh, uh, my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, so these were Christians that had never gone through that ritual. I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised. We're not talking about a physical thing. This is a, a decision as the law, to go back under the law. That he is obligated to obey the whole law. Watch. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. That's pretty hard, isn't it? He said, if you're going to trade Christ for the law, then you've fallen away from grace. You better do that law well. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews the 10th chapter. All right? Not just a few places. There, 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 there are many, many, many. Hebrews 10 verse 26. Watch this. Okay, watch. You're with me? Hebrews 10 26. Watch the terminology. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. You don't get a sin charge account. You got me? Okay, well, you know, if we deliberately keep on sinning, very carefully, I'm not talking about a person who is walking with the Lord. Maybe they're going through a hard time. Maybe there's a temptation. Maybe they're trying to fight it through an addiction. They're, you know, there's something. But, but they're, you know, here's what I always say. If you fall, fall forward. <laughs> if you fall, get up. You know, you don't drown from falling in water. You drown from staying in water too long. How many have ever, how many can swim? How many have ever been in the water? See, you're all still alive. Why? You knew when to get out. You don't, you don't drown from falling in the water. You drown from staying in the water. Okay? So I'm not talking about sinless people. You can't earn this thing. But here's the deal. If we deliberately keep on sinning, no sacrifice for sins is left. Keep reading with me. Okay? After we, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. Verse 27. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And he said, you, you had received the truth and you left it. Right? Verse 28. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more? Watch this. Now, we live in such a touchy-feely, sloppy, agape, greasy grace, sorry, Church world today, man. You know, if you walk by and look at the church, you're saved in our culture. I mean, I just got to say it. Yeah, that's where we... And, and, and I want everybody to be saved, but I want them to be saved. I don't want to be so afraid of somebody disagreeing with me or political correctness that I'm just going to cow down. And say, well, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, Jesus knows. Yeah, he knows what the cross felt like. That's what he knows. And he knows he loved you so much he went to the cross. And he knows if there was any other way, you know what he said in the garden? Father, can we do this any other way? And he said, no. He said, okay, I'm going to the cross. Come on, man. We can't rewrite this. Okay. I can tell him, you know, but pastor, no, I'm not mean. I'm telling the truth. I mean, I, I, I don't want people to go to heaven. You, you with me here? But we just got such a culture that, you know, 
everybody's right now. No, they're not. Everybody's right. No, they're not. Well, I just kind of feel like, well, maybe you're kind of wrong. Well, it seems to me like I don't think you wrote the Bible. Well, if you ask me, I'm not asking. Well, what? Come on. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what this word says. So let's just read the word. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished? Look at this. Who has trampled the Son of God underfoot. How do you do that? Who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him. Past tense. It happened. So he said, what do you think happens to a person who's received the grace of God, who's been sanctified by the blood of Jesus and tramples on it? He said, what do you think they should be looking forward to? Okay. Who has insulted the spirit of grace. Verse 30. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I mean, what do you do with that? Does that not make you at least tap the brakes? That word unconditional, eternal security. You got me? Unconditional? I don't know how I hold that and read that. That's it. I don't think we should live under eternal insecurity. Afraid every day, any moment. I got a thought. Man, listen to me. God loves you more than you can imagine. God wants you to make it more than you can imagine. God is not against you. God is for you. God is patient. God is merciful. God is kind. Are you listening to me tonight? But his word is his word and truth is truth. And, and he's pulling for you and merciful and patient, loving kindness. But I, I'll go back to this. If we deliberately keep on sinning, I don't know where you hit that mark. If that's the way I'm supposed to be walking with God and I'm deliberately walking this other direction, I don't know when you cross that line. I don't want to gamble with that. I don't, I don't know. If that's the line and I walk over here, I don't want to die over here. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I can't in good conscience use the unconditional word with you. I got more to read. Okay? So, so I don't know. I don't know where you are. Man, that's a pretty rough guessing game, isn't it? It's a, it's a risky way to live. I believe as long as you're alive, you can repent and come back to God. And I believe the Spirit of God will draw you every day and convict you and pull on you. But it's your will. We deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth. No sacrifice for sin is left. All right? Go to 2 Peter 2. I got to hurry. I'm 2 Peter. I'm just trying. I want to hit the scriptures. I want you to see the scripture, right? 2 Peter 2.20. Okay? You, you with me? All right? All this past tense. These are people who have already been there and, and, and make a shift. If they have escaped. Already happened. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, now come on, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Well, if I wasn't saved before and I escaped corruption by knowing Christ and the Bible says I walk away from it I'm worse off now than I was in the beginning at the beginning I was unsaved my Lord what's worse than that not saved if I was going to hell before I met him and I'm over here and I've done this and he says where you're going now is worse than that Lord have mercy okay look at this verse 21 it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness it would have been better than to have known it and turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. 
Then look at the description of that backsliding. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit. And a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. I struggle with the unconditional word. <laughs> Revelation twenty two nineteen. How many think God would make an idle threat? Think God would make an idle threat? I don't think so. Revelation twenty two nineteen. Okay. Ready? Revelation twenty two nineteen. Well, the last thing said in the New Testament. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Say so take it away from you. Your share. You're gone. All right, let, let, let me do one more. I know it's pretty heavy, but you ask. Somebody here ask. I know they're upset in your party right now, but they ask. That's why, do you, do you, I'm sorry, I, can, I know it's like, ugh, uh, but it's all good, and I'm good with it. You know, Ecclesiastes says, I've read this at a funeral, Ecclesiastes says it's better to go to a funeral than a party. Did you know the Bible says that? You know why? Because you had a party, you're just partying. Funeral, you sit down like, man, I'm not going to live forever either. I got to think about death. The Bible says sometimes it's better to go to a funeral than a party. And sometimes it's better to hear the word and just think everything's okay when it's not. <laughs> All right. Let's look at Luke, verse 13. All right. This is Jesus. This is the red letters if you've got that kind of Bible. All right. Luke 8, 13. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. Okay, listen. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing... They fall away. So they, they, they believed. They, they had a short time. They hit a rough spot. They, they fell away. You know, here's what I want you to see. As long as you have an opportunity, God is going to work in your life. God wants you to go to heaven. God doesn't want you to miss heaven. But when we begin to deal with these issues of, of uh, you know, where is that point? Again, unconditional is the word that, that challenges me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, so, uh, what if you've been baptized and saved, but you still deal with, with a sin? Uh, you know, I, again, let me say to you, God is for you. God is working with you. Uh, you, you keep seeking the Lord, asking for his strength, asking for his grace. You understand that? It's the direction I'm going in. Listen, it's not your perfection that's going to get you to heaven. It's your direction. You get that? You don't earn it. It's my, my perfection. It's my direction. If I fall down, I'm going to get up and keep walking. If I fall in the water, I'm going to get out. If I fall in the mud, I'm going to get up. You, are you with me? Uh, you, you have to do that. So, uh, okay. I think th there's some other questions. So, guys, here's, here's what I want you to see. I want, let's stand together. It's time for us to pray. I want us to pray. I, I want you to understand that, that if I made a choice and you made a choice to accept Christ as our Savior, and he took us just like we are and is willing to work in our life and take us and go. I want you to realize how wonderful God is. Everybody listening to me? I, I want to emphasize you, the to, listen to me, I want to emphasize to you the incredible love and grace and security you have in Jesus Christ. If God is for you, who can be against you? But in any covenant, that's how God operates in a covenant. In any covenant, 
There are two parties that willingly enter the covenant. And there are blessings and benefits from being in the covenant. And in every covenant ever made, there are consequences for breaking the covenant. You see, there are two parties. And there's choice. God gave us free will. There was free will in heaven. There's free will in the garden. There's free will in our life now. I have to be responsible for that. Uh, and the good news is, God's for you, not against you. He, he's, he, he's, he's going for you. He's reaching. Uh, the Bible says the Holy Spirit empowers us. The Colossians says God, it is God working in us to do his will and to work with him. God's working. How many are thankful God's working in you? The Holy Spirit's pulling you in the right direction. I think it would be highly unusual for a person to really know Christ and love Jesus and choose just to walk away.